Don't let that money burn a hole in your pocket. I walked out the door, whatever that means, and I don't think I thought one more time all the way to Disneyland about this idea of cash all of a sudden erupting and burning holes. My friend and I thought that we would run around from line to line and we ate frozen bananas. Who's with me on that? You guys remember Disneyland frozen bananas? Okay, we need to preach about something else tonight then, if that's true. We, would, we ran around from line to line with frozen bananas and whatever chocolate came within five feet of us and with remarkable sagacity, our preteen minds realized that if we buy souvenirs early in the day, we'd have to carry them on every line. Who wants to do that? So as we neared the time when we had to leave, we made it to the most important stop at Disneyland. This is better than Space Mountain. It was more impressive than the Matterhorn and far more fun than anything Adventureland had in store. And it was that shop on Main Street that had the magic tricks. We reveled in the fun that we'd have amazing our friends and families with trick coins and decks of cards and those little cups that you can hide the marble in. My heart sank as I reached into my pocket and found it void of all but pennies. The most amazing magic I saw in the Magic Kingdom that day was how money could burn a hole in your pocket and not even leave a tear. Solomon had a slightly different image in mind when he talked about the futility of trying to keep your money and Use it too. He said in Proverbs 23, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle towards heaven. Money disappears, flies away, and burns holes in your pocket without even leaving a tear. Of course, what Solomon was talking about is wearing yourself out to get more than you need. Indeed, everyone must work for what we need. If a man will not work, he shall not eat, Paul tells us. But don't miss Solomon's warning against chasing after what we would now call discretionary income or always wanting what is bigger and better or smaller and faster. Now, discretionary time, like discretionary money, can be both sought and used in a way that will bring yourself satisfaction and bring God glory. Or, it could bring you heartache and God's wrath. Above all, we'll find out tonight that this use of discretionary or the word we've been using the last several weeks, leisure time, must be with an attitude that trusts the Lord to build your house. In fact, one way of describing the point of this series of sermons is to say that you and I need to understand how to use our discretionary time, how we can best invest it 
so that you will be most satisfied and God will be glorified in us. And if we are going to collect these principles that will benefit us as we live our life, we need to understand, have some clear ideas of what it is involved in in investing our discretionary time, investing our leisure time. What are the key ideas involved? So we began this series a couple weeks ago by looking at what Jesus said about having the right values. Orthopathy was the big word I used that night. Jesus commands us to have right values, to have this orthopathy when He tells us to seek God first and seek His kingdom first and all these things will be added to you. If you remember our point, our main idea that night was to carry just enough. Then we talked about the fact that what we do must come from who we are. And if what you and I do will in fact bring us satisfaction, glory to God, and expand God's kingdom on earth, then we need to act out of this idea that God created us to represent Him. And if you remember, we broke that down. We talked about we are God's representatives as His ambassadors, so to speak. And we are the ones who are out there showing this is what God looks like. And we do that by trusting Him. We need to make sure that we are giving those around us a fair representation of who God is by living in such a way that others see our trust in God's promises no matter what it is that life throws at us. So tonight, I want to keep going and I want to help us see how our choices of our usage of time, how we think about what we do so that we don't let it burn a hole in our pocket, so to speak. I want us to use the resources, time and money for that matter, that God gives us wisely so that we will accomplish something worth accomplishing. Not killing 5,345,000 bad guys on a video game. And I take part of my inspiration from Eugene Patterson's paraphrase of Psalm 127. Verses 1 and 2, he paraphrases it like this. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build a shack. If God doesn't guard the city, the nightman watch, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise up early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know that He enjoys giving rest to those He loves? My friends, trust the Lord to build your house. Now, as we said a moment ago, Solomon does not counsel us to be lazy. He commands us elsewhere, go to the ant, you sluggard. These little beings that run around working all the time. The one key truth that these two verses teach us is that while we must work, we must do so expecting God to bless that work 
so that work will accomplish the glory of God in our lives. Now as you read that again, I want you to notice what I did not say. I did not say that we should expect God's blessing to make everything work out the way we want. I said that our work plus God's blessing brings about His glory. Our work plus God's blessing brings about God's glory. Therefore, in our work, we must not worry. We must not work our worried fingers to the bone, to use Peterson's phrase, on how we will get the resources we need to have God's blessings. Now, we must work for those resources, but we depend on those blessings because they are all they are already secured for those who trust him and they are denied to those who refuse to acknowledge his promises. I think a good way of putting the promise of verse 1 is something like this. Trust the Lord to provide the resources that you need to glorify him. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, get this. Everyone needs resources. We need the material and we need the skill to build whatever it is we want to build. We build a house. We build a report. We build a strainer full of clean dishes. Now, after we do these things, we normally congratulate ourselves on these small things. But this verse, Solomon teaches us that we should praise Jesus instead. Everyone needs protection from enemies, from mistakes, and from the little gremlins that go around sabotaging our best efforts. And normally, we congratulate ourselves that we were able to think through what we needed and that our plans were successful. But Solomon insists, praise Jesus instead of congratulating yourself. When you and I go about our work relying on God to give you what you need, you will have enough. In fact, fortunately for us, Paul tells us that what God did for the Israelites, He will also do for us. He says in 2 Corinthians 8.15, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And Paul is applying that to us who are trusting Him that He will give us the resources we need. Now, the Israelites had to work, but their best efforts were blessed. And without that blessing... Remember, they're walking through a harsh and forbidding wilderness, desert. Their efforts would have amounted to sand. And who can eat sand? And furthermore, we know that God's gifts are good. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God gives good gifts to those who trust Him. But I can't let you forget the key phrase. The key phrase is, is that God is promising to provide what you need to glorify Him. Now listen to another verse just in case you believe that I'm starting to preach a name it and claim it type of sermon. God will give you His gifts, 
but His gifts are not always pleasant. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famineness or nakedness or danger or sword? I don't know about you, but none of those sound very pleasant to me. But they are options. They are real things that come into the lives of believers. And he says, as it is written, wait for it, this is not a comfortable verse. For your sake, O Lord, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's point here is that you may die in the service of the glory of God. But if that's your job, that's your job. And He will give you the resources you need to do it. But He's not finished. He says, no, in all these we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Indeed, your enough, the enough that God promises to give you may result in your nakedness, danger, or sword and God's glory. And that is a promise you can take to the bank because no matter what difficulty you go through, your God is able to use it to bring Him glory. It will bring God's glory because we will be more than conquerors of those things that might cause you and me to doubt God's absolute promise-keeping love. That's why we need, that's why we can trust God to build our house. Now, allow me to bring verse 1 into the context of the big series that we're talking about. I want to make a couple of distinctions so that we can then build principles from this to how we invest our leisure time. When I talk about leisure time in this series, the non-technical word that we could use is this idea of discretionary time that we talked about in the beginning. And like a $20 bill that you might take to Disneyland and blow on frozen bananas, which if you haven't eaten a frozen banana from Disneyland, you have not lived a good life. I'm sorry. <sighs> but this idea of leisure time is this discretionary time. These ideas are roughly the same. Whenever you have time that is not invested in laboring to make a buck so you can live, chores or errands that you have to do, or actually sleeping, which is slightly different than leisure time, that is what you have to be called leisure. Now, I'm being simplistic and if you really want to talk more in depth about this, we could, but I only have 30 minutes. But I'm also interested in leaving my definition a little wide open because I want to help us include ideas of how to use that time, these principles. But as we keep this idea more general, we need to get a couple of categories of what you might actually do in your leisure time. And so again, I'm being simplistic, but I'm going to break it down into two categories. And the first one that I want to talk about is recreation. Now, our bodies and souls both need to be replenished. They need to be reinvigorated. We, we use this idea of recreated to strengthen or build up or or 
make us ready for our next task. Now, I think that this is a legitimate need that is not caused by the fall. I believe that Adam and Eve needed recreation as well, and they weren't just walking around naming animals and trees, but they needed time to be reinvigorated, to be replenished because we are human. Indeed, I believe so because they needed to eat. And eating is the number one activity of recreation. Who here does not like to eat? We love to eat. And usually, you know, unless we're just doing this because we have to eat real fast, we love to sit and relax with our friends because it is leisurely. And celebrating, I was trying, I was really thinking, if you could think of an example that I don't have, I could not think of a single celebratory kind of thing where food is not appropriate. If you think of one, tell me later, because I could not think of one. Celebrating always includes foods. Now, it also includes, or potentially could include, getting away. And this could be in terms of getting outdoors, going uh, walking, breathing clean air, or perhaps it could be a hobby. And in either of these, celebrating God's creation in terms of how He has made us or in terms of how we experience His creation so that we can worship. And that is part of what this recreation is. Now, as I said, there are many ways of doing this recreation, and I'm not seeking to limit your expression. Instead, what I'm doing is I'm trying to give you this idea of recreation because it is essential to real leisure. And I believe it is essential to your humanity made in the image of God. But this brings us to this other idea, which is actually probably in our culture uh, more out there. And this idea of amusement or entertainment. Now, not always, but very often, we allow ourselves to be immersed in this amusement, this entertainment, because we want to stop thinking. In fact, that's what amusement means, by the way. A, without, muse, thoughtful, uh, thinking. We want to be without thinking. But when you think about that, being without thought is a dangerous idea. Now, we include in there this idea of laughter, although very often the laughter that our cultural amusement or entertainment foists upon us is actually at the expense of desensitizing ourselves to things that we know if we think about it, we really ought not to be laughing about. And this pause, this diversion from the things that normally occupying our thought, and indeed, this laughter are not bad in and of themselves. Don't misunderstand this. But to the extent that this disconnecting from our daily activities or laughing are legitimate pastimes, I would argue that there are quite a few ways that our culture presses upon us that we would do well to completely avoid. 
Instead, we must engage our minds to think about how we can accomplish this letting down of our hair, so to speak, although I can't do that anymore. This, this idea of relaxing, this idea of laughing because we need to touch that part of our souls. We must engage our minds on how to do this so that we can accomplish these goals in such a way as to better represent God in how He created us for His glory. And so, whatever time you think that you need to entertain yourself, I want you to try an experiment. Next time you're trying to kill little candies that are falling on your iPad, or next time you're trying to, you know, find the next thing to laugh at on the internet, I challenge you to consider, pray and ask what God might offer you as a replacement that in fact would better fit who you are anyways. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that because it's legalism, Pastor. And if you're thinking that, next week we are going to be talking about legalism and we're going to be exploring that subject in depth. But we want to call it legalism. And then the second reason why we object to this idea of asking God, God, show me what is it that I can do that would take the place of whatever non-thinking that I'm doing. Whatever we're doing, it takes effort. It takes time. And I have to think about it. And you know what? Even when you nail one, even when you get to something that really would legitimately help you, it takes, the studies say, six weeks to break a habit. And we don't want to stick with anything for six weeks that's hard. But, if you go to your Lord and you ask Him to show you what areas that you need to work on, number one, He will. And then He will give you the grace that you need to bless you through it. The first principle, the principle from number one, verse one that I got, is God will provide all you need to glorify Him. And the question is, am I harming myself because I am not trusting God's promises? Am I harming myself by forsaking real resources that would help me in other areas that are really a part of how God has created me to be? Not how He's created all of us, but how He has created me. Am I forsaking real resources to do that? Am I harming myself by not allowing my heart to be drawn away by things that either A, don't matter, or B, are positively harmful to my body and soul? And the answer is going to be to trust God. Trust the Lord to build your house. Trust the Lord to provide the resources you need. And then secondly, verse 2, trust the Lord to provide the rest that you need to glorify Him. Verse 2 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. Everybody needs rest. You need to recuperate so that you can do anything. Now, normally, we congratulate ourselves for getting to bed on time, but Solomon reminds us that any rest we get, we ought to give Jesus 
praise for. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that just because you're in bed, you're not necessarily getting the rest that you really need. And here's the point. Notice that what Solomon contrasts to rest is anxious toil. He's finishing the comparison he made in verse 1. You must trust God to provide the resources you need to glorify Him. But as Paul told Martha, you are worried about many things instead of the one thing that matters. As important as sleep is to the body, rest from anxiety is important to body and soul. And get this. When we are investing our leisure time, we will have this rest. When we are wasting our leisure time, we will be more anxious and less focused on what God can do to fulfill His promises. Every time I waste an hour surfing on the net, looking at at something not necessarily sinful, but just wasting an hour of my time, I always go to bed more anxious. Has anybody else ever noticed that? Watching television does not give you rest. And if you think that I'm wrong on that, I challenge you to try it out. You will find that you don't necessarily get rest. And leisure time can be used to give us rest. Not necessarily sleep, because I don't think that that's necessarily leisure time. But activities that require less of us physically or activities that center around areas of our bodies and minds that we don't use to labor or earn a buck. When I was riding my bike all the time, boy, I was not resting in terms of physical activity. I was working hard. But boy, that was great leisure because it was an opportunity to use my body in a way that was not what I normally did. And it gave my brain a chance to breathe and see the trees and feel the wind. And when you have this kind of attitude towards your leisure time, it will enable us to forsake the anxiety and the anxious toil that Solomon counsels us to avoid. And this kind of restful spirit enables us to appreciate what John Piper calls the theology of sleep. The theology of sleep is that you need to sleep, and I would say, by extension, rest in the way we're talking about from anxious toil, several hours each day so that you and I are daily reminded that you are not God. That God is sovereign and that you can trust Him to provide the resources and the rest you need. I am not God. It's not all dependent upon me. Now, He's not allowing us to be lazy either. But in our leisure time, if instead of working our worried fingers to the bones, we are turning to God and allowing Him to be God and using our time to allow what He has created in us to be expressed, we can relax and we can allow Him to be God. Now, 
just in case you think I'm absolutely against television and movies, you're right. But aside from that, (laughs) just in case you think I'm totally against it, here's the deal. Right now, in my rest time, because I've just spent a couple of years reading really detailed books, I'm allowing myself the leisure time to read fiction. And I'm reading seven books in this fiction series. And I even had the thought cross my mind, God, I'm I'm not reading your word. I'm not reading a book on preaching. I'm not reading a book on theology. I'm just relaxing. Well, here's my defense. Number one, it's a very good story about courage and loyalty And number two, it's very well written and it's engaging and it's engaging my creativity and my mind picturing what's going on. I am not throwing all what can be grouped under entertainment under the bus. But what I am doing is I'm challenging you and me to be thoughtful. We ought to ask the question, is what I'm entertaining myself with right now something that is helpful or something that is ultimately harmful to who God has created me to be. But God wants us to remember that we are not God and we can indeed must depend on Him. So our second principle is that God is sovereign. You are not. And we must ask ourselves, am I harming myself because I am not trusting God's promises? And if you go home and read your notes and note that I repeated that same question twice, you're right. Because we need to ask ourselves, am I harming myself? Am I harming my family by not trusting God's promises? Am I harming myself by forsaking the rest my body and soul needs? Am I harming myself by piling anxiety on myself because I refuse to rest and instead I should be trusting the Lord to build my house. But I think we need to unpack that metaphor too. What is Solomon saying when he says the Lord is building our house? Well, it's actually not that complex. He's he's just talking about building our life. Now, Literally, you can build a house or you can build a report or you can build a stack of clean dishes and and we must do that. But our life is made up of moments that you can either invest or you can waste. As you invest them, you will indeed be closer to the Lord. As you're working and saying, Lord, I'm doing this, but I'm doing it in light of You. I'm trusting that You will give the blessing that I need. Or you can waste them and you will be more distant, less rested, more anxious, and less pleased with your life. And just in case you believe I'm being legalistic about anything I'm saying today, I want to leave you with one more principle that I think can be easily drawn from these two verses. Freedom is the ability to do what you want when what you want is what is best. You are free to run yourself ragged. And you are also free to rust your bones and soul with the spiritual acid that our culture proffers proffers by laying down and watching soul cancer on TV. 
But such freedom is merely license. It is an opportunity wasted to the harm of the person so living. Real freedom, true freedom, is the ability to live as God created you to live. You may or may not be able to live like this during the daytime when you pay your bills by going and doing the labor that you need to do. But in your leisure, you can live in such a way that God allows you to become the person He created you to be by trusting the Lord to build your house. One last thing. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to be a grump about fun. Far from it. Many of you heard uh, last April my sermon on the Sabbath when I uh, gave on Sunday morning. It's on the website. Go and check it out. Because what you will see in that sermon on the Sabbath is God created the Sabbath to refresh us and for it to be fun even. And I, I, yes, serious. I'm not kidding. Uh, (laughs) But He created it to be enjoyed. And I intentionally left the Sabbath out of this sermon even though I was going to because I, if you're interested, go and listen to that sermon again. It's on the website. You can find it. But you will see that God intends to build us up, not tear us down. And the lies that you and I have been being fed for years that he who has more has the most when he dies wins is exactly that. A lie that you and I must avoid. So my friends, trust the Lord to build your house. 